0: you're here today. Is there anyone in the room who struggles sometimes to be thankful? Anyone else like me? I mean, we know, I think we know, I hope you know, that you are blessed. Many of us are blessed according to the standards of the world. We are blessed just far beyond what most people enjoy. And yet it is easy to forget how blessed we are. So today I want to talk about that a little bit with you. And, and really today's, today's sermon, there's a word stewardship that has been uh, talked about, that I've talked about and written about, and it's been on the screen to be good stewards. Oftentimes when we think about stewardship, our minds go right away to money. And I'm going to talk a minute about money today, but really what today is about is about stewarding all of the blessings that we have. Yes, money may be one of those things that you have a lot of influence with, but we also, all of us have time that we need to steward. All of us have gifts from the Lord that we need to steward, abilities that we need to steward. And so this is what I want to talk about today. And this is week three in a series that we've been going through called Being the Church Together, um, because none of being the church comes naturally, right? But knowing who we are and how we function as a body here is something that we have to do some thinking about, and I want to do some teaching about, because it gets more and more complex as this church grows. Some of you who were here 50 years ago, 40 years ago. 30 years ago, you can see that things are growing in complexity, right? We've got more children in the front, more people in the chairs, more classrooms, and they're full, and it just takes a lot more to get that going. It's possible, if we're not careful, that just that kind of growth and that kind of really exciting stuff happening can can make us forget what we're really doing here. And so we're talking about being the church, and today I want to talk about how we steward our stuff together. Last week, last week... I just want to say one more word about this before we get into today. Last week I read for you John 13. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I talked about what it means to love. Part of what it means to love someone is to forgive them. This is a command from Jesus, not a recommendation. Jesus says, we have been forgiven. And so we Christians ought to forgive, must forgive others. Now, once we've been forgiven, we do everything in our power to make reconciliation possible. Reconciliation may not happen, as you know. Unlike forgiveness, reconciliation requires that both sides, both persons, both parties be willing to be reconciled. But we are called to be like Jesus, so we pursue. If there's an issue of sin involved, we follow the template laid out in Matthew chapter 18. But if it's just a matter of frustration or personal differences, you can find a lot of help. I want to recommend the book Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Those are just a couple of things. And if you need more details, that sermon is still online from last week. I know I got to talk to a number of you about that. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you were challenged this week to forgive someone? Maybe somebody that you hadn't forgiven for a long time. How many of you were challenged this week to reconcile or at least take a step toward reconciliation with someone else? Or maybe you had to think deeply about why you are not being reconciled. This is important stuff to think about as we consider what it means to be the church. Now, to today, to this stewardship thing, what it means to be stewards as we are living out being the church together. I want to talk about who God is, who God made us to be, and what we are meant to do. And I'm going to start this talk on stewardship by talking about money, because it's very practical, and I know a lot of us can wrap our minds around it. So I did a little bit of digging this week, and the average salary this year, first quarter of 2022, the average salary in the United States is $54,000 a year. Some of you in the room are saying, wow, I wish I made $54,000 a year. Some of you in the room are saying, I would be lost if I only made $54,000 a year. That's the fun thing about averages, right? But right now, the average salary in the United States is $54,000, Farmers, now there's all kinds of ways that farms are defined, there's all kinds of ways that farmers make income, but if you do a little bit of digging around online, you can find that the average farmer, uh, their income might be between 60000 sixty and, 60 and $80,000 a year as a family, so slightly better than average. If you do some research, you can see that teachers are making about $65,000 a year average, so slightly better than the national average. Nurses make about $77,000 a year. Doctors, there's a lot of different kinds of doctors, but a general practice doctor, the average doctor last year made $250,000. Again, some of you say, wow, that sounds like a lot. Some of you say, eh. This is because we are we are blessed differently. But then if you're like me and you watch occasionally sports on TV, you know that there are some people who get paid a lot. The guys in the NFL, the average salary is $2.7 million a year. So the average NFL guy makes in one year what the average American makes in a whole career. The average Major League Baseball player does a little better than that. $4.4 million. That's the average baseball salary. Why am I telling you about this? Because this stuff gets our attention. We think about this a lot, don't we? Just imagine, think of your favorite Bible character. Just pause for a moment. Think of your favorite Bible character. Now imagine they were coming to your house today for lunch. And they know about people, they understand, they understand how the world works, but they maybe weren't caught up with 2022. They came to your house for lunch today, and, and maybe you turned on a ball game this afternoon like I'm going to. And maybe they say, wait, what do these people do? And I explain to them, well, they get to spend their entire lives playing ball, and um, they make enough money to, uh, to eat all the food they need and, and to have a house to live in, and, and they, can, they can just play ball until they're until they're about 35, then they can quit playing ball, but they still have enough money for a house and for their food. And I think my favorite Bible character would say, well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. And I said, well, they, they don't really make just enough money for their house and their food. They make enough money, really, in one year that any of us could live on for the rest of our lives and not have to work. And then they would say, well, how much does, how much does a farmer make who feeds people? Or how much does a teacher make who teaches all the children and influences their lives forever? How much does a nurse make or a doctor make? And I... I think that my favorite Bible character would say, what's going on in America in 2022? Now, you and I have these conversations, but you know why it works that way. You know why the average NFL guy makes 2.7, why the average Major League Baseball guy makes 4.4. You know why, right? Because there's a market for that. Because people want it. Because you pay for it. It was fun. I did a a survey this week with all you guys. Did you know that about 85% of you pay money for TV? Maybe it's cable or Dish. Maybe it's Netflix or Amazon. You know where that money goes? Well, some of it goes to paying these NFL guys and Major League Baseball guys. You don't complain much about when you pay for TV. Any of you complain when you pay your taxes so that teacher can make $65,000? Ah, my favorite Bible character would say things are out of whack, and I'd say, yeah. Yeah, they are. This is the world we live in. When the average person works hard for a $54,000 average salary. And young men get to play hard and never have to work anymore. That is something, isn't it? Why is it that way? Well, because we want it that way. If we wanted it to be different, it would change. If we were that offended by great athletes making great piles of money, we wouldn't pay any money for their jerseys. We wouldn't pay money to go to those games and we wouldn't pay money to watch them on TV, but we do. So this is how it is. Why do I bring this out to you? Well, I bring it out to you because we just need to call out the simple fact that all of us are blessed differently. Like I said, some of you in the room, you say average salary in the United States, $54,000 a year. That sounds great. Oh, I hope I get there one day. Some of you say $54,000 a year. Wow, I haven't made that. That was 30 years ago that it's right. We're all different we're blessed differently, we spend differently, and we save differently. But I'm bringing up this money thing because it's practical, and it helps a lot of us get our minds wrapped around this idea of who God is, who he's made us to be, and how he expects us to live. There's a great story, or a great conversation in the book of Job. How many of you know the book of Job? Job is a man who understood that we are blessed differently. We experience the world differently. Job was a man who was fantastically wealthy. He had wonderful children. He had a wonderful life. Things were going really well. And then it all fell apart. Job lost his children. Job lost his money. Job lost his herds and Job lost his home. Job lost his health. And things got so bad that in all of these areas of life where Job had experienced these terrible disasters, Job continued to praise the Lord, but even the people around him were we were kind of leaving him little by little. His wife said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Things are so bad. Just curse God and die. Why put up with this anymore? And then Job had these three friends. They, they all came and they visited him. and They gave counsel, but it really ultimately wasn't helpful. Job, looking at where he had been and looking at where he was now and just suffering, really suffering, Job was frustrated with his situation. And he began to complain a little bit about it. And after Job said his peace, God spoke to Job. And God began to ask Job some questions. In Job chapter 41, this is something that, that God said to Job. Now, they're going to use the word Leviathan here. What exactly is a Leviathan? I, I don't know, but imagine, I mean, frankly, I, I don't know exactly what a Leviathan is. It's a really big thing that lives in the ocean, okay? But listen to how it's described and think about what God is saying. This is the Lord speaking to Job. He says, hey, Job. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make the Leviathan a pet like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it and you remember the struggle, you'll never do it again. Any hope of subduing this Leviathan is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. What's Leviathan? I'm not sure. But what God is saying to Job is, Job, Leviathan is a beast that you cannot handle. It is in the sea. It doesn't matter how many harpoons and hooks. You can't do anything. You can't tame it. You can't sell it. You can't control it. This Leviathan, what's it say in verse nine? Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one, verse 10, no one is fierce enough to rouse it. And then God turns the table and says, Job, who then is able to stand against me? Because God said, I can deal with Leviathan. I can, I can fish for this fellow. I can, I can subdue the Leviathan. God says in Job 41, verse 11, who has a claim against me that I must pay? everything under heaven belongs to me. That last line is a key line for today and for my life, and I hope it's a key line for your life. What did God say to Job? God's very words, everything under heaven belongs to me. Now here God is speaking about Leviathan, one of the creatures, one of the, one of the animals. God says, even that belongs to me. But it'd be a good thing for you and I to remember for the rest of the day that everything under heaven belongs to me. What's the bottom line? There is a lot of stuff that you and I think that we own, control, manipulate, buy, and sell. And there is a lot of stuff that you and I, because of where we were born and when we were born, to whom we were born and with which gifts we were born, there's a lot of stuff that you and I have been given power to steward, but we need to keep in mind what is actually ours. What did God say to Job? Some of the things under heaven belong to me, right? God said, God said some of that stuff, Job, that's actually mine. Is that what God said? no. Sorry, sarcasm. God said, everything under heaven belongs to me. Folks, that includes you and me. That survey I sent out on Wednesday, for those of you who are not members of our church and, and you're, not on, you're, you're, you're not on that email distribution list, I sent out a little economics survey, had nine questions, and these questions were the same ones that I'd actually ask our church and about 15 other churches back in 2013. But the first question was, do you regularly tithe at least 10% to your church? 82 people responded to that survey. That was a fantastic response. We had 23 people respond with officer nomination sheets. We'll talk about that maybe another time. But 82 people responded to this survey that opened with a question, do you regularly give a tithe to your church? And, And remember, these are church members. These are not just people who kind of started showing up. These are people who have committed themselves saying, I belong here. And this was anonymous. There were no names attached, and so there was no blame and there was no fame. It's just, what do you do? 84%, 69 out of 82 said yes. I give at least 10% to my church. Is that true? I don't know. I can't verify that. I don't have access to that information, and I don't know who said what. What I'm telling you is that the members of Waterway Church, 84% of them said yes. They regularly give a tithe to the church. Why does that matter? Well, that's really important because it is a reflection, and I'm so glad that that came up. I'd love to see that be 100%. But I'm so glad that that came up as such a positive number. Numbers say that the average American gives 1% to 2% of their salary to some kind of a nonprofit aid mission every year. So church people, you're doing better. You're doing better. But I'm glad that 84% of the people here at church can at least acknowledge, look, what I have is, is not really mine anyway. I need to be giving back to God. I need to be giving back. In, in the way that I give to the church, I'm giving back to God. And so I'm recognizing that all of these blessings I have, they're, they're not just mine to do with whatever I want. I give God his part. God has asked for 10%. 84% said, yes, we're giving at least that much. Thank you, church. Thank you. But this is a little bit of a picture of who God is. God is the one who can even the Leviathan. God is the one who owns everything. And while we have our averages down here, while we have our numbers, while we have our money, God really looks down on it and says, I claim all of this. It's all the Lord's. All of what we have, all of what we are. We belong to God. We need to remember this. We belong to God. Our stuff belongs to God. We belong to God. Our stuff belongs to God. We belong to, we belong to, we belong to, I want to make sure you know it. We belong to, we belong to, there you go. We belong to God and our stuff belongs to God too. This is part of who we are. Psalm 100 verse three says that we should know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture because we belong to. Romans 14, verses seven and nine says, none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Well, that makes sense because we already know that we belong to, we belong to God. Romans fourteen nine for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. We as Christians, we are not our own. We think we are. I am my own man. Nobody tells me that's sin and that's pride. Don't you ever say it again. God tells you everything. Maybe you don't need to hear all the chirping voices of all the people around you. I understand what you're trying to say. But you are not your own man. You are not your own woman. If you are a Christian, you are bought with a price, with the very blood, the very life of Jesus Christ. He owns you. And it's a wonderful thing to be owned by the Lord because he owns us. And on his behalf, we are given freedom. We are given a purpose. We are given life and we are given joy so that we can live well for him. But don't think that you belong to yourself. It is God who made us. We are his. We should know this, even if others deny it. You can read the book of Ephesians. Go ahead today and read Ephesians chapter 2. You can see all kinds of truth about who we are, about how God is our peace, about how how Jesus Christ came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. who through Jesus Christ, we have access to the father through the spirit. God owns us not just to not just to manipulate us and control us. God owns us to love us. And he created us so that we could be in fellowship with him. And Christ died so that we could be close to God and not separated by our sins. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why am I telling you all this? Because this is essential for us if we're going to understand what it means to live as a church. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to the Lord. And when we come together, we acknowledge together that I am not my own man. And Brandon isn't just living for himself and his dreams. And Austin isn't either. Neither is Janet. Neither is Rachel. We are coming together here as sons and daughters of the king. And so what is our job as the church? Our job is to live for the king. Right? We live for the one who made us and who paid for us and who bought us with the blood of Jesus Christ, rescuing us from sin and the dominion of death. We are his. And if we forget that as a church, we will spiral into all kinds of selfishness, all kinds of crazy. And you get to the point where you're just sitting there listening and I'm just standing here talking. We go back out and it doesn't make any difference in the world. Because God said, that's not what I put you there for. I put you there to acknowledge together that you are mine and to tell the world that God is king so that lives can be changed. This is our mission. Church, we belong to God. Our bodies, the work of our bodies, it all belongs to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul said, Don't you know, this is 1 Corinthians 6, 19, a great one to underline in your Bible. Teach it to your kids. Make sure the old people remember it if you're young. Make sure the young people learn it if you're old. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with all of your bodies. The Apostle Paul, talking to some philosophers in Greece, he said, In Jesus Christ, we live and move and we have our being. That's who God is. He is our Father. And this is who we are. We are made to reflect him. It's really interesting. If you want to see more about how humans are made, go all the way back to the beginnings of your Bible. Look at Genesis chapter 1. If you have a Bible or if you're following along in your device, just turn there right now. Genesis chapter 1. It's easy to find. It's probably on about page 2 of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, 27, and 28. Just so that we're clear on who we are. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we see that back in the beginning, God said, Let us make mankind in our image. It may sound strange to hear God saying, Let us. It's not as if there's a whole bunch of gods. Delmer did a really good job of talking about that in Sunday school today. There is one God, but our God exists as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And so our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit worked together in creation. And so the Father said to the Holy Spirit and to the Son, because there was no one else around yet, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Look at verse 26. Why? So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Humans are not just animals, although we have so many similarities and some of us act like we're animals. No, we are created to rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, the book of Genesis gets a little bit more specific. It says in verse 27, after God said that, we see the power of God because God did it. Verse 27, I've said a lot of things that I wanted to do that I didn't do. I told the elders at the beginning of this week that I was gonna get them some notes from a meeting that we had a couple weeks ago and I still didn't get it to them. I'm sorry, guys, I'm working on it. But do you ever say that you're gonna do things or say that you intend to do something and you don't follow through on it? You ever make a, husbands, you ever make a promise to your wife, yeah, we're gonna work on that project this summer. Did you get them all done? Wives, do you ever make a promise to your husbands? Kids, do you ever promise your parents? Parents, do you ever tell your kids, yeah, yeah, we're going, we're going to go. What, another, I need a half an hour. We have these conversations all the time at my house. But God said that he wanted to make humanity in his image. And so God did that. God created, verse 27, God created mankind in his own image In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, both created in the image of God. Oh, men and women, we carry the image of God differently. Men and women are not the same, but we are both as humans made in the image of God. This is what God said, and this is what God did. And then look at verse 28 in the book of Genesis. This whole ruling over creation gets a little bit more clear. Genesis 1.28 says that God blessed them that is Adam and Eve, the man and the woman. That is humanity, the representatives of humanity. God blessed them and said to them, and it takes a blessing to do this. He said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, God didn't, God didn't intend for us to forget who we work for, did he? Because we belong to, uh, we belong to, right, we belong to God. And so if God tells us that we are made in his image, and if God tells us that we are blessed, and if God tells us to rule over and subdue, we don't do it just for ourselves, do we? We do it for who? For the Lord. And so as we deal with the animals, we ought to do it in a godly way, not not just so that we can have what we want, When we rule and subdue the rest of creation, we ought to do it in a godly way, not just so that we can have what we want. This is why the destruction of the planet is such a problem. And we could argue for a long time about what does that look like and who's got the right arguments, but can we agree that the the planet naturally does not seem to be moving in a good direction? It seems as if things are getting worse. Why? Well, because a lot of humanity... We may not have caused all of it, but we've created a lot of it. A lot of humanity has ruled over and subdued the world, not on God's behalf, but on our own. For our own selfishness, so that we can make more money. So we can use our power to exploit other people, often to make more money. You want to know the answer to almost every question with a problem of humanity? You can chase it back to money. And if it's not about money, it's about money. And if it's not about money, it's about power. And why do people like power? Oftentimes, so they can have money but we're called to be stewards. We are called to be God's people standing in for him so that humanity is dealt with well, so that the animals are dealt with well, so the creation is dealt with well, and so that all the stuff that happens is ruled over well. God says, I created you, humans, to be little kings and queens, to be princes and princesses. In the world, God says, I'm not just going to do this for myself and then, and then sit back and see what happens. God says, I'm creating humanity to be my representatives on earth. And that makes us stewards. Because for now, you and I have influence and we have power. Even if you don't feel it, you've got some influence and power and money that you must take care of in a godly way. This is your job. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to, ah, uh, there you go, Mennonites. You're getting better. We're getting better. And so here's the last little gear that I want to shift before we go. Before I shift gears, why don't you stand up for a moment? It's helpful to do this. You get the money thing. You get the power thing. I know you get it. You you guys are wise people. Take a breath. We're going to steward our time well. We're going to recharge so these last couple of minutes you can actually think about it and not just wait until it's over. Take another breath. All right, now sit back down. (laughs) Now here's, here's what I want to talk about with you for this last little bit for this last little bit, how do we steward all of our stuff together here at Waterway Church? Because I think a lot of you, you're smart people, and you've heard these kinds of sermons before, you can go home, and I think if you're careful, you can look at your money, and you can look at your influence, and you can look at your power, and you can pray to God, God, I want to do this for you, and Lord, show me how to steward this well. God, God can show you, and you've got wise brothers and sisters here who can counsel you on how to spend your money well, or save your money well, or use your time well. Okay, we can do that. We've had sermons on that. We'll have more. But I want to talk about what this looks like here at Waterway Church to actually be God's people and to live and work and steward life together. Now, you know, many of you know that our church, Waterway Church, is part of a network called AMEC, the Alliance of Mennonite Evangelical Congregations. Now, AMEC, what do they do? AMEC holds my credentials. I'm ordained as a pastor. The big privilege is that I get to marry people, right? The state of Pennsylvania recognizes that Steve and I have a right to marry people because we're kind of official. Now, you can find that online, too, for a lot less hassle than what Steve and I went through to become ordained. And the state doesn't consult with us when people want to get divorced. I still don't understand why that's the case. But for whatever reason, the state of Pennsylvania still says that that I'm allowed to marry people. And there are some tax code implications that come along with that. But we have a group called AMEC. This is like our denomination. It's a group to which we belong that makes sure that the pastors of the churches are pastoring well. AMEC gives us counsel and gives us guidance if there is conflict within the church. And really, other than setting scriptural guardrails, and other than credentialing Steve and I to be pastors, AMEC doesn't influence the day-to-day leadership of the church. Ours is a congregational church. What does that mean? Well, that means that we have a congregational business meeting together, at least quarterly. To decide on important topics. Usually, it's whenever there's a fifth Wednesday in the month. Why? Well, because in the book of Genesis, it says on the fifth Wednesday, have your business meeting, and that's when you can figure out everything at church. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I hope that, uh, no, we have a fifth, because that's our tradition. It's just what we do. It works for us. Okay, so whenever there's a fifth Wednesday in a month, the next one is November 30th. So if you have your device out and you're reading your Bible, just flip over to your calendar and mark down November 30th, 7 o'clock, be here, okay? At business meetings, we talk about things like the church budget. How are we going to spend the resources that we have together? We talk about what's it look like for our staff? Do we need more staff people? Are they doing their jobs? well? How does, how does that look? The congregation makes decisions on big topics because we are a congregational church. Now, we may not feel as congregational as we used to. I remember 16, 17, 18 years ago when we had a congregational business meeting, many of the people of the congregation were there. Nowadays, we get about a quarter of you on a good night. But many of the people were there and we talked about all the details because frankly, we all knew each other a little bit better than we do now. We were all in each other's lives a little bit more than we are now. And it was a little bit easier for that group of people to talk as, as a couple of people than it is for a big crowd to talk as a big crowd. So we've, we've gotten better at delegating. We've had to do that, but our congregation still makes decisions on big topics. Our congregation here at Waterway chooses elders according to the guidance and qualifications of scripture, especially in the books of Timothy and Titus. Elders are men who are selected from the congregation who serve three-year terms. We usually make those selections in the summer. Elders oversee us pastors in the work that we do. AMAC holds our credentials, but elders kind of work here day to day and make sure that Jesse's not preaching weird stuff and that Steve's not teaching weird stuff. And that we're doing our job the way we need to, that we're working enough and not working too little or too much. But the elders oversee us pastors in the work that we do. Elders are chosen and can be removed by the whole congregation. And this is what makes us a congregational church. It's not the only right way to run a church. If you know anything about the Presbyterians, and a few of you have aligned yourselves with the Presbyterian church, they have a whole different way that, that is run, that's fine. That's their way to do things. Some churches are run all the way by the pastors. That's fine. That's the way some people do things. Other people have a big international office somewhere overseas. Okay, but that's not how we do it. We are run, we steward our power through the structure of the congregation. Elders, not only do they oversee us pastors, but they direct the theological teachings of our church. Elders give oversight to counseling and discipline issues, and elders help to lead worship. You saw Pastor Steve here this morning. You see Ross and Robert and Anthony and Reuben. They help out leading worship, and there's others who have done that in the past. So we've got a group of elders here called out by the church, and the elders work hard. We've also got a a group called our leadership team. Our congregation delegates a lot of work and a lot of decisions to elders on our leadership team. This is how we steward our work. This is why we have officer nominations in the fall. And I know some of you are sitting here right now saying we get this, we know it, we know how it works. But there are a lot in this room who don't. And when else can we talk about this stuff? So I'm taking a couple minutes now because I think this matters as far as how we steward our influence, right? You may have heard about our officer nomination sheet. We have officers and and offices turn over on the first of the year. People have three-year terms. And we've got six teams, Christian Education. They oversee all the stuff that has to do with teaching our kids, with, with teaching Sunday school classes, with youth groups, with nurseries, and all that. They've got a big job. We've got a mission and outreach team that makes sure that all the money that we send out from this church is going to places where the Lord is being proclaimed and served. We've got a worship team who helps to make sure that all this stuff that we do here on Sunday mornings, with music and with worship services and coffee houses like we had last night, that those things are aligned towards the Lord. We've got a fellowship team who helps to make food and make sure that we're connected. We've got a finance team who helps to make sure that our budget is managed well because there's a lot of resources that come through this church. And we've got a property team that that paints stuff and fixes stuff and builds stuff and and, and cleans up stuff. They they take care of bees nests that are in the lobby. You didn't see it this week, and I hope none of you got stung except for Judy, who's on our, who's on our office staff. But, but what do we do? Well, sometimes Steve and I help, but if it's hard work, we call David Smoker. David, you're the chair of the property team. Come over and get rid of the bees, right? There's just stuff to do. And we all don't do all of it, but we've got people who we call out because they have gifts given by God. And, and here's what I notice on our leadership team. We've got some really skilled and gifted men and women on our leadership team. And the reason why they are so, in my experience, this whole time here at Media and Waterway Church, why it's so fun to work with that team is because people understand I'm not just here for myself, but I'm here for the Lord. I serve for the Lord. I, I kill bees for the Lord or move them nicely, you know, just depending on how the Lord calls us at the moment. I sweep the floor for the Lord. I preach the sermon for the Lord, but there's other people who there's other people who greet you at the door for the Lord and they count the money for the Lord and they sit in the nursery for the Lord and they go and help hunger walks for the Lord and they do a million tasks behind the scenes that you have no idea about and they do it for the Lord. This is why this is why it's so fun to be a pastor here. Because I'm just one more guy working for the Lord with all of you which let's be honest, that's how it should be, right? Don't you have this sense in you that says that we all as Christians ought to be able to work together for the Lord? Because we all belong to him, right? All of our gifts come from him. The only reason why you're healthy enough, strong enough, or smart enough to do what you do is because God gave you that ability. You could have been someone else that couldn't figure it out and couldn't do it even if you did figure it out, but you're not, you're you. And plus, God put you in a place where your gifts could be called out, you could be educated, and you could be used. God put you in a place where, where we have the opportunity to gather on a Sunday morning. Let's never, let's never stop being thankful for that. Right? All this comes from the Lord. These opportunities, these all come from the Lord. And we like to think, oh, I worked really hard for my money. Well, how is it that you grew up in a part of the world where you can work and make money? There's people around our world that are working really hard, and all they get is just enough for maybe breakfast, maybe lunch, maybe dinner. And if they can sleep under a roof, they're blessed. (laughs) This week, I like to think that I'm a pretty good steward of things. Melanie and I work together to think about our money. This week, we got a package from Amazon. We both looked at each other, it had my name on it. We said, what's that? Before we opened it, before we opened it, we couldn't remember what it was. Do you know why? Because we get a lot of packages from Amazon. (laughs) And if you have something show up and you're not sure what it is, I mean, you might be able to guess it's one of three or four things. But we opened up and it was a book. And I said, oh yeah, I remember ordering this. I often do that. If I'm in a conversation with somebody and they say, I love this book, I just go and order it right away. And so I, I forgot that I had ordered this book. That's how rich I am, I guess. But have you done the same thing? I mean, if you're in a part of the world where you can order something online, pay for it, and have it delivered to your door, and then instead of sitting there like a kid at Christmas, just waiting for it, you can, you can have it show up and, oh, I don't even remember what it is. Uh, you've been there. I know even, even the, the really fiscally tight ones of you, I know you've been there at least once. So we're blessed, right? I'm not going to shame us about that kind of stuff, but what I'm going to say is we need to remember, you and I, how blessed we are. Let's remember how blessed we are. And let's remember that all of these blessings that God has given us, they're not just for you and me to be able to have nice things and be comfortable for the rest of our lives. God says, you belong to me, and he created us to rule over and subdue this world together. And now he's given us this opportunity to work here at church together to continue to carry out his plan. And so we work through elders, we work through pastors, we work through a leadership team. An important part of what it means to be the church together is that we trust each other to be good stewards of the gifts God has blessed us with, whether it be money, leadership, wisdom, or influence. God said to Job, everything under heaven belongs to me. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit said to each other, let's create men and women in our image so that they can rule over and subdue the earth because it would be wild without us. So I'm just going to challenge you now today, having heard what you've heard, learned what you've learned, and thought about what you've considered, are you willing to keep moving forward? remembering every moment that you don't belong to yourselves. We don't even really belong to each other. We belong to the Lord. This is part of what it means to be the church. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us to know what we need to know, and please give us strength to do what we know to do. Lord God, you have, blessed, you have blessed many in this room with gifts and we know those gifts are diverse and you've given us different amounts. Some of us are, are really smart and some of us are not so much. Some of us, Lord, are really wealthy. Others of us, not so much. Some of us are really influential. Others of us, not so much. Lord, help all of us. Help all of us to continue to work together to be the church, so that all of our gifts can be given for the glory of your kingdom and that people would know we are Christians because of the way that we do all this with love. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to be together here today to steward this time and gear it toward worship. Lord, I'm thankful for the food and the clothing and the homes that you've given us for your blessings in the way that you've provided. Lord, we thank you. But Lord, help us now to be mindful as we move forward, to be mindful of the way that we live our lives and spend all of these gifts. Help us to spend them for you because, Lord, we know that we belong to you. Not, Not only do we belong to you, but everything on earth belongs to you. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder today. Help us not to forget. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, congregation, we've got one more song to sing today. It's a little bit of an older one. This is the one that is on the sheet that you were given when you came in.